you know, to this day, I can think of those moments as as tokens of very deep friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of one particular friend of mine. He, he's been a one of my best friends for twenty five plus years. I think um, I, I remember having a conversation with him years ago, where he he pointed out not in these words, but pointed out a way in which I was being a complete idiot, um, and. The way he did it conveyed such deep love and concern. I've never forgotten that. And I've, I've, it makes me to this day grateful, to, you know, for him as a, as a friend. Welcome back to You're Not Crazy, uh, Gospel Sanity for Young Pastors. And we're very aware um, of the non-young, non-pastors who listen to this as well. And uh, you are so welcome as well. Um, We're just glad to have you with us. Thank you for giving us this privilege of spending this time with you. Uh, Welcome, Ray. Great to be with you again. Ray, uh, we are in your study. Tell us who Larry is. (laughs) Larry, that's the informal uh, reference to Lawrence Elk. Uh, Lawrence is here on the wall. He uh, has moved uh, just uh, two months ago from Colorado. Yeah, he <laughs> he lives now in uh, in the Nashville area. Yeah, so he's a big country music fan, so okay. that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and where did you and Larry meet? I met Larry in, um, yeah, the Rocky Mountains of Colorado about a year ago. I made his acquaintance in a rather dramatic fashion, and that was when he decided to move to Tennessee. <laughs> um, there's a, a cast of faces in this in this room, which um, we need to introduce our listeners to at some yeah. stage. But um, good, Ray. Our, our our topic today is 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 receiving criticism. We've had a, a lot of people have written in over the, the the months of this podcast to sort of say where does where does gospel culture fit into how we receive criticism from other people, how we may have to offer correction to other people, and, and even the whole issue of something like church discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, how does all of that relate to, to gospel culture? Um, I'm, I'm sure you've never received any criticism um, <laughs> in your life, but um, how, how should we, if we're, if we're trying to be, again, people who embody the heart of Christ in the way that we serve in our, our churches, how should we think about the criticism we receive? It's an important topic. It's a delicate question because we've all been criticized brutally. Mm. And so even, you know, approaching the topic, we kind of have our guard up. Mm. Uh, We've had some horrible experiences. Perhaps we ourselves have been uh, brutal and unkind in the ministry of correction. I mean, that is a part of gospel culture. The smile of God is not an all-approving grin. Hmm. Uh, Colossians 1.10, we want to be fully pleasing to him. Uh, Hebrews 12, he, he disciplines us out of fatherly love. He wants to help us grow. And we can't take everything that we are right now, unchanged, untransformed, unredeemed, into the future that we long for. So some things about me, some things about all of us have got to change. And sometimes I can't see what it is about me that's got to change for my life to go where I really long for it to go. One of the uh, questions that I think healthy 
gospel-centered, if we really believe in justification by faith alone and God's grace to the undeserving, that creates a social environment uh, that is not crisis-y and precarious. We're not walking on eggshells. We are deeply accepted and welcomed. We are justified. We are adopted. We, We belong. Now, in that context, gentle, respectful, interactive correction is both inevitable and helpful. So a question that honest brothers in Christ uh, ask each other or something we say is, okay, help me see myself. Help me see myself as I can't see who I really am. And if we're unwilling to ask that question, that itself is, wow, that's eyebrow raising. Yeah. What do we have to protect? So Sam, thank you for putting this on the agenda. Let's all accept this is a little bit scary to us, um, a bit threatening, Mm. and we're going to face it. We're going to trust the Lord and face it together and think it through. What has the Lord taught you about um, the ministry, not the brutality, the ministry, the servanthood of correction and counsel within the context of gospel culture. Yeah, I've uh, I've been blessed at two or three very key points in my life to have godly, kind brothers point out something I'm doing that is, is needing to be corrected. Um, not in a gung-ho, gotcha, slap you down kind of way, but in a genuine, heartfelt, we, we think you, you're not getting this right. And... You know, to this day, I can think of those moments as as tokens of very deep friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of one particular friend of mine. He, he's been a one of my best friends for twenty five plus years. I think um, I, I remember having a conversation with him years ago, where he he pointed out, not in these words, but pointed out a way in which I was being a complete idiot, mm. um, and the way he did it conveyed such deep love and concern. I've never forgotten that. And I've, I've, it makes me to this day grateful, to, you know, for him as a, as a friend. Um, so th- there have been moments like that where I've, I've seen the Lord's kindness behind um, a difficult conversation with a friend. Um, one of the other things we have to reckon with is, is when the criticism comes outside the context of gospel culture and, where it may not always be being offered in a way that is is gracious and kind and expressing of, of friendship. And I can't remember who I heard this from, but I remember somebody saying once, listen, even if someone is is having a go at you and they're not, you know that they're not right in what they're saying, or at least in the in the extent of their critique, you're still a far worse person than they realize you are. <laughs> and that that's helped me at times when I've I've sort of been on the receiving end of some fairly harsh words, which I thought actually they've either not understood me or they've not tried to figure out where I'm coming from, and they're they're throwing things at me that actually genuinely aren't the case. Is to think, well, yeah, I'm st- I'm still way worse than they think I am. Mm. Um, that that's helped me to receive some of that and to sort of not be crushed by it but also not to then get very defensive and self-protecting and how dare they and, you know, 
how could anyone ever think such a thing? So, and in my more thoughtful moments to think, okay, how have they got the wrong end of the stick? And is any of that on me? Um, mm. Is, you know, is, is there something I've written in an article or said in a sermon that, that, okay, yeah, I could see how they would have heard that from what I've said, mm. in which case, okay, that some of that's on me and I, I, I need to learn to add another extra bit of nuance to yes. that particular thing that I was saying. So mm. the, even the not very godly forms of criticism can still be of service to us if we, if we allow it to be. Mm. That's fair-minded and um, mature and humble. The, the ministry of correction itself can be so incorrect, but when it is respectful with two-way communication. So here's what I'm seeing. Um, am I misunderstanding you in this way? So it's not one-way communication. It's not me just telling you, but it's us talking together, interacting in other words, the ministry of correction is incorrect when I make you the problem. Hmm. But when the problem is out here and you and I are considering the problem there and helping each other understand it more, uh, more uh, profoundly and redemptively, hmm. that is actually a, a magnificent manifestation of gospel culture. Hmm. Gospel culture does not exclude correction Gospel culture dignifies correction and makes it fruitful. Hmm. I, when, when, uh, if I can believe, confidently believe, that you and TJ love me enough to help me see myself if, I'm, um, if, if I have words or behavior or attitudes that are uh, displeasing to the Lord or counterproductive with people, when I know you're going to talk to me, I relax. I feel accepted. I feel like I belong. Mm. So the ministry of correction is um, is how one of the wonderful, surprising ways uh, in which we convey our profound acceptance of a brother or sister in Christ. I was helped years ago by um, Luke seventeen three that I had never paid attention to ever. And then it leaped off, leapt off the page at me. Four clauses. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Uh, John Stott, in his wonderful little book, Confess Your Sins, has a brilliant section on Luke 17.3. Hmm. He says, if we can restore a sinning brother sinning and unrepentant brother. That's not because we love him so much, it's because we love him so little. Look what the Lord says. If your brother sins, now that does not say if your brother hacks you off, hmm. if he annoys you, if he just rubs you the wrong way. So this is not about a petty and selfish overreaction uh, of Ray toward Sam that's unfair to you. But if your brother sins, and you can go to chapter and verse in the Bible, because it's sin... It's a sin category. So you can see in Scripture that your brother has offended the Lord. If your brother sins, comma, second clause, rebuke him. It doesn't say scream at him. 
It doesn't say belittle him. But what I think that means is you sit down with your brother and you say, um, this is an awkward conversation and it's a little scary to me and it might be problematic for you. But in our meeting on Tuesday night, when you said X, Y, Z, I was blindsided by that. I didn't expect that of you. I, I think that was wrong, and here's why. And explain with Scripture why you think that was wrong in the sight of God. And you might even... Now, that's a rebuke. It's, mm-hmm. it's calm, it is biblical, it's reasoned, it's, it's filled with uh, an explanation that might be acceptable to the person on the receiving end. It's constructive, isn't it? Because you're actually trying to educate someone at that moment. And uh, I want to win him. Yeah. yeah. And I think so often we hear the word rebuke and we assume it means, you know, come down on someone like a ton of bricks. This is the, and I think it's often the, the very point where Christian leaders can maybe without even realizing it, start lording it over other people. Yeah. It says if your brother sins. Not if your enemy sins. Or your subordinate. Yeah. Yes. Rebuke him. And if he repents. So that's <clears throat> that's when your brother listens to your your gentle, reasonable, biblical rebuke. And it's gentle, reasonable, reasonable and biblical because this is Jesus talking. Yeah. <laughs> and if he repents. And so he, he says, wow. Kind of hate to admit it, but you've got a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. I hadn't seen it that way. What was I thinking? Okay, I get it. I, it kind of kills me, but you're right. Mm. You're right. I wish, boy, I, I'd love a do-over on that one. So thank you for helping me see that. And um, um, yeah, you have every right to expect me to change. I just, boy, I, I am so sorry. And there might be some reconstruction in relationships that needs to happen, but yeah. that's repentance. There's a similar uh, sentiment in in Second Timothy chapter two. Paul says the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, and that's a word for us today, isn't it? Yes. Um, but kind to everyone, yeah. able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So again, even where Paul is envisaging correction there, um, it's with gentleness and with a view to wanting it to, to have a positive outcome. It's not punitive. Its aim is restorative, um, that God may perhaps grant them repentance. They may come to their senses and... Again, I, I can't remember who said this to me, but uh, it, it's been a helpful principle for me is always try to make it easy for someone to do the right thing. Yes. So try let, let's try to make it easy for someone to repent of something that we know they've done is wrong. Mm-hmm. And therefore, whatever correction or rebuke is, is necessary at that point, let's do it in a way that then makes it easy if they do come back to their senses to be restored to us. What's the phrase? Um, flying off the handle at them that it's going to now make it really difficult for them ever to approach us again but actually which I think is why Paul says we're to 
correct there with gentleness. Mm. So that if the person does think, oh gosh, yeah, that I, I was right to be criticised on that. It's not them. We've not erected barriers to them coming back to us yeah. in the way that we've done that. Both uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin have brilliant comments on Galatians six one, mm. the gentleness of restoration. And uh, Calvin points out that one of the ways that ministers injure people is by rebukes that are too severe. People are never helped by being cornered and pressured and embarrassed, mm. especially publicly embarrassed. Uh, who do we think we are to do that to anybody? Mm. Especially, for example, on Twitter. That is not where we correct one another. And when I see that kind of behavior on social media, I realize this person doing this, um, either the person, uh, I, I hope this person never becomes a pastor um, until this person grows up, or I hope this person um, uh, is, is so sort of marginalized in visibility and influence that their impact is minimized. Because this is, when we beat one another up, that is not a denominational option. That is the opposite to Jesus Christ. It's not Christian mm. at all. And coming back to Luke 17, 3, the whole uh, objective is, and if he repents, forgive him. So that's where the ministry of correction wants to go. So that's where in the awkward conversation, hmm. if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, then you say, oh, wow, thank you so much for just being open and so humble and reasonable. And thank you for receiving and uh, considering what I've said. I really respect that. Not everybody would uh, really be open to what I've tried to do here. And, and I just want you to know, this is so over. Uh, I forgive you. It, this is done. Um, this can get locked away in the vault of our sacred friendship. And uh, I, I just respect you more than ever mm. for the, the humble and godly way in which you've received this, this awkward and difficult message today. And, and when it plays out like that, actually, that, that, can deepen the, the oh, friendship, can't it? Absolutely. When two Christian men have that kind of moment together, they both walk away as really strong allies, shoulder to shoulder, moving forward together with deep understandings of what it means to be brothers and what it means to be allies, what it means to be men of God. <laughs> There's not too much of that going around. No. <laughs> right. One other thought I'm, I've got on this is that particularly for, for pastors in the context of their church, I'm conflict-averse. Um, it, sometimes it's easy to think, I, I need to have that difficult conversation with someone. They, they did do something that was wrong. I'm, you know, we should be doing this in person and not by email, oh not goodness. by letter. Um, yes. You, you need to be able to see, they need to see your face and hear your tone and, yeah. and hopefully sense from your demeanor the spirit in which Yes. Whatever correction is is being offered, and an email can feel easier because uh, you don't have the awkwardness of sitting down with someone and having that conversation. But it it can make it much worse. 
It's hard to be gentle in an email. Email is the crudest form of communication ever invented. As technology, it's brilliant. As human communication, it is crude and even primitive and destructive. A correction must never go through email. It must be face-to-face, as you say. That's really vital. And when we want to affirm and honor and compliment one another, that should be written because then it can last. People can keep that. But correction needs to be face-to-face because then you have real-time interaction. If the person you're speaking to is beginning to misunderstand what you're saying, instead of trading three to five to 10 emails, trying to uh, realign with clarity, it takes three seconds. You just, are you saying this? Oh, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that. Oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah. Yeah, that's very wise. Okay, Crossway Books is sponsoring, you're not crazy, this podcast with the Gospel Coalition. Um we really respect the ministry of Crossway Books. Here are, uh, there are many wonderful Christian publishers. We have a special place in our heart for Crossway because of their partnership with us here in this podcast. What's another Crossway title that uh, we'd, you'd like to mention, Sam? Yeah, I, I, a few years ago, someone gave me something called the ESV, um, I think it was called the Psalter Devotional or the Psalms Devotional or something Devotional like that. Devotional Psalter, I think. That was the one, yes. Yeah. Those, those words in that order. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember using it and profiting from it and thinking, this is great. Um, only then realized sometime later on that the, the devotional parts of that Psalter were written by, by Dane, your son. And they've republished this Psalter now as a, as a book with Dane as this sort of um, listed author. Um, called In the Lord I Take Refuge. Uh, and it goes through every single one of the, the 150 Psalms, just a, you know, a few paragraphs on each. It's a short devotional guide, um, but wonderful. And, and the Psalms are so comprehensive in their you know, exploration of all the different things that we go through and experience and, and teaching us how to bring all of those things to the Lord in prayer. Um, and that, that, devotional really helps us to to use the psalms in our own walk with the lord in our own kind of processing of our own experiences so i'd I'd highly recommend that yeah dane ortland in the lord i take refuge by crossway calvin said of the psalter that it it puts before us and pulls us into the whole range of human experiences and emotions Mm. and helps us to lift it all up to the lord in prayer so this book by Dane uh, could uh, really help everybody start. What if what if we went on a journey together every morning, taking ten minutes to read a psalm and and Dane's comments there, and give the entirety of our experience to lift it up to the Lord? Um, that would consecrate the scariest parts of our lives that we don't know what to do with. Yeah. That's why it, it says, in the Lord I take refuge. Yeah, so let's go there. Yeah, Guys, thank you so much for listening. We, we so appreciate it. See you next time. You're Not Crazy is a podcast from the Gospel Coalition, hosted by Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry, produced and edited by Andrew Lapara. Check out more podcast shows from TGC at tgc.org forward slash podcasts.